Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. This is Doug Ferrara of USA Today Sports Media Group, Touchdown Wire, and the Touchdown Wire podcast. Uh, getting the podcast going after a few months off, and a special guest today, Brian Baldinger. And Brian, I've got to go through this because you're a busy guy. This is, okay, so you're on the NFL Network on your yes. hosting tonight. You do the Baldy's breakdowns there, and on your uh, Twitter account, Baldy NFL, and those are must sees. Yes. Uh, Fox Sports, Compass Media Networks, Odd to See, NFL Insider, Sky Sports UK Analyst. And you played for the Cowboys, Colts, and Eagles from 1982 through 1993. Did I catch everything? Because that's a lot. Most of it, Doug. Most okay. of it. I'm what else you guy, Oh, right. yeah. There's a thing called Coach Two, which we're talking about today. Yeah. You know, I tell you, it sounds like a lot. And it is. By the all way, right. just to interrupt, uh, I, I love Coach Two. My colleague, Mark Schofield, is like all about Coach Two. He's been, right, well, he's been doing that for years. I'll just tell you how. Let me just explain how I can do what I do. Yeah. So I'm actually at NFL Films here, Doug. I'm on the third floor. I'm in my film room. Um, and I have access to all the NFL tape and college games. I've, so I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy, really happy. But basically, once you get into this rhythm of watching film and studying tape and getting ready for the draft or free agency or whatever, to me, it's just a salad bowl. And every day I come in here, I just add fresh ingredients to stuff that I already know. And so it could be TJ Watts pass rush move. What's his best move? Okay. I know TJ right side, left side, number 90 Pittsburgh. I mean, but you just keep adding to it. And so what I don't like is when analysts just sound like they're cliche and they just spit out. But if you just keep adding every day and talking to different players and coaches, you hear different ways of explaining things. Yes. And pretty soon it becomes part of your lexicon. So it's your lexicon. So that's kind of my um, my operas, you know, my, my modus operandi is how I do it. Yeah, I've been to I went to NFL Films in 2017 because I've known Greg Cosell for a long time. And yeah. he graciously let me and my friend Mike Tanya in there. Um, so we got to see Steve Sable's office, which I just yeah. bumps like, oh, man. Yeah. Um, so you're on the third floor. How far are you away from Steve's office? Uh, you know, I can I can uh, I can walk there in, in two minutes. Yeah. yeah. So you can just soak up the genius every day. That's incredible. Well, I mean, Steve, I mean, just I mean, I, he, he's inducted the Hall of Fame this year. It took uh, too Steve, long. and I'm glad to see it. Yes. But Steve would walk into a meeting here. It could have been playbook when I was doing it with Sterling Sharp and Joe Thighs, but it could have been anything. He walked into the room, he changed the room. Hmm. And whatever he was thinking about at that moment, he just let it go. Yeah. And more times than not, it just was something that made you think, you know, and it made you think differently about whatever. It could have been a game last night that we all saw. It could have been about a player in the news for whatever reason. I mean, the guy just had this voice that just cut through everything. He seemed to have, I mean, 
when I explain, like talk to people about head coaches versus coordinators, like head coaches have to have that sort of 10,000 foot aerial view, the CEO who sees everything. Steve seemed to have that. Like he would just, he would catch everything. He told me, since I do a lot of shows that involve players and coaches and you're trying to, you know, get them to open up. He, he told me one piece of advice, Doug, that I've never forgotten. He said, I know, you know, football, Baldy. I know, you, you know, that people know that, you know, football, but play a little dumb. Just let the players explain things. Yeah. And it's so true. It really just let them talk. They play the game. They study the game. They're coached to play. Let them explain it their way. And rather than jump in and go, I know what you mean with it. Just play, just play a little dumb. And it's really, it's, it's just, you know, Steve Sable advice. It's just smart. Yeah. Uh, when I started doing this full time in 2009, I, I, I would go to these press conferences and I was trying to show everyone how smart I was. So I would yeah. ask these like two minute questions. Yeah. And there was one, uh, I'm in Seattle and there was a Pete Carroll, John Schneider, I think it was 2011. Uh, they had just done the second day of the draft. And I asked Pete and John this long winded question and, you know, blah, 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 for two minutes. Pete just looked at me and kind of smirked and said, yes. <laughs> for the whole thing answering your own question yeah and Schneider, Schneider once called me oh it's Doug again he's asking more scheme questions so they they kind of nicely put me on yeah. this but but that's yeah it's it, it's exactly correct you 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 let you bring the subject out as a, the you know the the person you're talking to as opposed to yeah. you trying to superimpose your stuff over it that's yeah one example of Steve Sable's brilliance uh, so before we get into all the stuff we're going to talk about, tell me about your involvement with coach two, which of course we are fans of. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got, I, I, last year, obviously the pen, I remember, uh, Matt rule, his opening, um, big fans of Matt knew him here at uh, temple and Baylor, but, um, he, in his opening address to his team via zoom, one of the things he said, it was about a nine minute speech, but one of the things he said was that a, th- a one third of all businesses in the United States were started during the recession or depression. And so last year, you know, during the pandemic, everybody had to adjust mm-hmm. and we still continue to adjust. And so, you know, Zoom became, you know, everybody was in Zoom hell for something. You know, we're all there, you know, every day, just about. So Rick Ciratelli from the Draft Bible, now kind of owned by Sports Illustrated, does a great job putting together all this information every year, getting ready for the draft, him and all of his staff. And he came to me and just said, I've done some work with Rick and said, why don't we try to teach the game, you know, on, on Zoom and, and let you do your Baldi's breakdowns um, with film. And let's just see what kind of audience there is for. It. And so what I decided to do was just take three great players at each position. And we kind of categorized it into 10 positions, offense and defense. And, um, and I, I would take a couple of Hall of Famers. If we were doing corners, you know, I, I'd go Deion Sanders and Charles Woodson and then maybe somebody current today like Jalen Ramsey. And I would just break those players down, why they were great, what they did, how they thought. And we we just had this uh, Zoom audience that came in. We did it about every two or three weeks, kind of advertised it. And then uh, on occasion, we would have a special guest. Bob Wiley came in and he joined and talked about, you know, interior offense, linemen, centers and guards and Mike Haynes came in and talked about corners and oh wow yeah it was great and so you know the I, I you know Mike would go through the film with me all the people whether it was fans or coaches or people that are trying to get into scouting uh, they had an opportunity to ask Mike questions 
And so all they did was just take all this content and then cut it up, you know, to coach to. So you can go look it up by position and, um, you know, day or whatever it is. And it's all out there now. Yeah. My colleague, Mark Schofield, I think he's bought, I don't, he's probably got a whole credit card just on coach two videos. So uh, we're just, we're definitely fans. Um, before we get into all the other stuff, I looked you up on pro football reference, of course, and something that stood out was people may not know this about you, Brian, you caught a 37 yard pass for, with the Colts in 1988 against the Packers in week 11 um, I have not yet been able to find it. I'm going to have to use my underground channels for this because I, I have to find this play. Oh, it's uh, out there. No, it gets out there. Take me, take, this was the longest reception from anyone on either team. I think the Colts, it was Chris Chandler was the starter and Ricky Turner threw. Oh, Ricky Turner threw the pass to you. Yes. Ricky Turner, uh, backup quarterback, I guess. Uh, uh, he, he, he was signed during the season. I'll tell you the story, Doug. Okay. We were at Lambeau. I'm playing with the Colts. I'm the right guard at the time. And Ron Meyer was the head coach. And we had Eric Dickerson and we had Albert Bentley. We had uh, like just a fleet of great backs. And when we, we would get a lead, um, he would institute the wishbone um, or, the, you know, the Veer version of the V or wishbone that he ran at SMU with, with Dickerson and Craig James and those guys. And he brought in Ricky Turner to be the wishbone quarterback, you know, uh, Chandler, who was a rookie that year, uh, he would go to the sideline and I would go from guard to tight end. Uh-huh. And so I told, I told coach Meyer, I said, listen, I'll go be your tight end, but you got to put a pass play in for him. Like, I'm not going to go out there and block the edge of these guys and go out of position and go block, you know, Lawrence Taylor. If you can't put a pass in for him, he said, all right. So we worked on this pass, you know, maybe once a day or whatever, but we're a, we're backed up deep in our zone. It's, you know, it's third down and they call this pass play. And I'm like, all right, here it is. This is it. You know, like don't screw this up. And we sold the run real good. The dive fake, the whole thing, Ricky pulled it out and threw it to me. And I'm proud to say that, you know, the fastest player in the green Bay Packers tackled me 37 yards down the field, got us out of a jam. We went on and we went on and and won that game in, in green Bay that day. Yeah, uh, last-minute defensive stand, if I recall correctly. And was that a big yak thing, or were you, like, you know, charging out there? And Oh, I got the, I got a chance to show a good stride. Nice. I got to open up a little bit. I mean, I didn't look like, you know, my feet were stuck in the sand or anything like that. So I know you did a recent thing on the three best route runners in the NFL. Would you have put yourself on that list in 1988? Nah, probably not. Probably not. Probably not. I mean, I, I was just a guy that, you know – saw an opening in the zone and just, you know, put my hands up. Well, there's, there's value in that too. Yeah. Um, the other thing you, you did uh, at NFL films that I really enjoyed is the Spagnola one, the film sessions on game pass, uh, the Spagnola one with Steve Spagnola was great, you know, coverages and all that. And yeah. of course the Quentin Nelson one, cause he's like my outside of, you know, one of my two or three favorite players in the NFL. Um, and you kind of touched on this, but what do you learn from talking with current players and coaches and how does that benefit what you do as a broadcaster and analyst? Cause you, you, you set the tone for this question. Um, you know, get out of the way and let your subject talk. How does this, as much as you came into this part of the business, knowing as a player, how does it help you to talk to a Quentin Nelson or a, a whoever? You know, it's funny. You, you mentioned Spags. Uh, I got these whiteboards all over my office, but I've got one over here. And Steve has his cover three 
uh, the same cover three, you know, visual that he teaches day one of any installation, wherever he's had been. And he, he put that up there for me. I still look at it. Um, you know, like the game uh, can sound really cliche a lot. Um, it can sound very similar, you know, Vince Lombardi's talking or Bill Parcells, but really everybody puts their own personal spin on it. And so when I talk to players, they explain the game to me differently. I learned different terminology. I'll never forget like Jalen Smith, middle linebacker for the Cowboys said uh, about his reads, you know, he always said, slow till you know. And so you see linebackers overrun plays all the time. He goes, no, that's, that's on, that's on us. You know, Jalen Ramsey this year, one of the things that gave me the idea about doing the best route runners in the league was Jalen Ramsey told me that when he was covering Stephon Diggs this year, that he's a router. I mean, he, you know, you got to know that this guy's a router, like he's going to double move you. And I I never really heard the phrase router before. So Jalen Ramsey kind of laid it on me. Um, I learned something from every player. I I remember when, um, I mean, you know, even Quentin Nelson, uh, all the things that he does in his pregame warm-up that he visualizes um, at that point for an hour. Every Sunday, it's like watching Peyton Manning warm up. He visualizes every one of his blocks out there on the field, goes through the steps, the hands. He's got somebody with a bag that he, you know, that he's targeting to hit, um, you know, all that stuff. And so every player, to me, I feel like I, I can learn something new about the position because I was an offensive lineman. So, you know, Jalen Ramsey wants to tell me about, you know, the cornerback position. I'm, I'm all ears. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want to learn. You know, J.C. Treader is a great center for the Cleveland Browns, and I learned a lot about, you know, what teams are trying to do to really not beat you one-on-one protection, but try to screw up your protection. Yes. You know, there's a difference. And so everybody kind of brings something to it. I, I kind of initiate it by the plays that I pick. And then I let them kind of talk me through it. NFL Films produces it. It was a dream show of mine. Always wanted to do it. And then, you know, four years ago, we got it started. Yeah, it's it's great stuff. Yeah, I've watched tape with about, gosh, 30 different players. And it's just every time I am able to sit down with someone for 15 minutes and go through five plays, um, Levante, David, and Darius Leonard were the last two. Uh, the best one was either Sherman, Sherman in 2015 or Patrick Mahomes before the draft. But the the stuff you learn, and then I mean, it's different for you because you played in the league. You have an expanded understanding. I'm I'm coming into it for different, but just like it, it, it kind of amazes me that people. Oh, this was the coverage. This is the guy who blew the assignment without talking to a coach or a player. And I'm like, there's no way you know. You don't, and you know the thing. Even but coverages are very confusing Ugh. to everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't care if it's Troy Aikman on television or Chris Collins, where I mean, pick an analyst. It's very difficult because if you're sitting at home, Doug, and you're watching the game on Sunday night or whatever, you're never going to see what the coverage is unless they go back to a replay. And chances are the replay comes back if there's a pass interference call or if there's a touchdown or a great catch, you know. And so you never really see the coverage because you're following the the cart camera, the play-by-play cameras following the quarterback. And so you never see the coverage. And so, like, one of the reasons why Jalen Ramsey wanted to do film sessions this year is, you know, the public that really don't understand, or even the analysts don't understand, like, he was being called out when he was getting beat, and he was in zone coverage. 
And so I would point that out, you know, in Baldy's breakdown on Monday or whatever. And he appreciated it, that at least I saw what he was trying to do and what he was asked to do. And so coverages are very confusing. But really, unless you slow the game down, it's very difficult to understand where the breakdown was, why the play worked so well, what the quarterback was looking at, um, you know, all the, the intricacies of every play. Um, unless you really slow it down, freeze it, stop it, rewind it, it's it's you can't you can't see it in real time. Yeah, because I mean that's a good point because the view won't necessarily save you. You can wait until the game is all twenty two is up on Game Pass, and you can look at the overhead. And you can go, oh, it looks like quarters, but wait, oh, they're oh, oh, god, he's rotating. So what do I do now? Especially you got your Brandon Staley's and Vic Fangio's who are running you know different match concepts and quarters and six and whatever. Um, you know, if it's confusing Russell Wilson, what chance do you have <laughs> to figure it out? Yeah. Um, where did I wanted to get into three quarterbacks here? I wanted to start with Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay's offense and your thoughts on that. But of all the things I'm looking forward to in the 2021 season, this is number one for me. Well, first of all, Doug, I mean, this is no offense to the Detroit Lions or their fan base. But nobody watches the Detroit Lions. I mean, going back and really studying. They know what the record is. They know the, the coaching changes and, you know, changes in the front office. They know all of that. But nobody really studies the Detroit Lions. They just don't. And so when I went back and I started watching Matt Stafford after the trade was made, and then you hear about Carolina was involved and all these teams that were after him, you go, let's go back and really just watch Matt Stafford. And when you go back and you really watch him, you go, the things that we rave about with Patrick Mahomes, you yeah, see a yeah. lot from yes. Matt Stafford. Now, you don't see, Pat, when Patrick Mahomes was in high school, he was doing this stuff. Yes. Now, I, I, I do Big 12 games on Saturdays. I, I mean, I was had the luxury of watching Mahomes do this at Texas Tech. Yep. But, you know, he doesn't have – I mean, Matt Stafford can't physically do some of the things that Patrick can, throwing off balance – you know, throwing the ball with his left hand, whatever. I mean, we, he doesn't have that heroic. But the arm angles, the release, the the firepower, the the, the Hawkeyes, like he's got all of that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you go. And then he can do all the manipulations at the line of scrimmage that I'm not so sure the other guy that was there could do. And so I think the love affair that Sean McVay had with Matt Stafford, first of all, he probably studied him coming out of, you know, Georgia, you know, maybe Highland Park High School. Who knows how far back Sean went. But, you know, it, but you you see the arm talent, you know, but people kind of gloss over that because, oh, he's only been in three playoff games. He had one, one, all this stuff. They just enough. categorize him. And, but you don't watch him. And so when you watch him, that's what I see. And – Let's face it, Doug. The Rams are a very unusual team. Mm-hmm. They're the only team that I know of, but you might know better. But they don't have, outside the quarterback, they don't have a single first-round pick in the offense. All right? I mean, they don't have one in the offensive line. They don't have any receiver, tight end, running back. I mean, they don't, they don't have it. They put their resources in stars. Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, all right? You know, Leonard Floyd, you know, Matt Stafford. And they build around those stars. And when those stars shine, they're a hard team to beat. Yeah. 
Well, and they have guys come on, you know, Robert Woods is hugely underrated. Darius Williams last year, cornerback really showed up just like, mm-hmm. bang. Um, and I know before the golf trade, there was one point where you look at their cap situation. It was like Donald Ramsey and golf alone, like took up 50% of their cap. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're a star. I mean, they're built around their stars. Yeah. The thing about golf, and I want to get your opinion on this. Um, the things that, this my analysis from looking at metrics and tape um because i did a long piece when they signed into that extension like uh, i don't know about this the things that made him great in sean mcveigh's offense in 2018 his ability to run boot his ability to uh really exploit defenses with play action and mm-hmm. certainly the way mcveigh uses pre-snap motion with not only to you know d- diagnose man zone that's kind of like the 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 base version of it, but really that jet stuff they do just to displace defenders. It seems to me based on the things I've watched over the last three years, the things that made golf special in that offense. And let's have no doubt. He was a, you know, system mm-hmm. quarterback. Um, it seems like he's regressed. I mean, I was watching him run. I was watching him throw boot from last season, a couple of days ago. And I, he threw, I think eight touchdowns and no interceptions out of boot in 2018. He threw four touchdowns and two picks out of boot last year. And the interceptions were ugly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like, well, when you see a guy regress, when you see a guy regress that much, and this is just my opinion, what are your thoughts on, on like how, because I don't think the lions have an automatic, you know, multi-year guy here. No. Well, I mean, first of all, the they're an 11 personnel team. But because of their the way they play their receivers in tight formations, they're twelve. They they look like a twelve personnel team. They look like one back two. Now the talent around Jared Goff has really dwindled. I mean, you go from you know Todd Gurley at the height of his game, okay, in 2017-18, to a running back by committee. Now Cam Akers, I'm not sure what they were looking at first half of the season, but he's clearly the best running back. So you can, I mean, you can tell that good. by the way, when he got like he got he gained good yardage behind Florida State's offensive line, and you're like that exactly. alone was like okay, yeah. yeah, they didn't have a single player. So, um, but you know you and then you you know you you don't replace Roger Saffold, you you know you don't replace John Sullivan. I mean, they still haven't replaced those players, you know, and there's still a big hole at center, which could lead to some leaky stuff. I mean, if your center isn't strong in his business, you're going to leak in the run and pass game. It's just going to happen. And so, you know, that's why Kansas City is making a change. I mean, you look around the league. That's why, you know, the Chargers went out there and got the all-pro center, Corey Lindsley, and that's why the Packers went and drafted one real high. I mean, you better fix that position. And so I think the, the, the pieces around Jared Goff really diminished in 19 and 20. And I think he was a product of that. And so they didn't have a good running game in 2019. They were awful, you know. And so in 2020, it got better. They were a little more committed to it. But, you know, um, Whitworth is their best offensive lineman at age 40, you know. And so they're, they're trying to work around that. I mean, um, I love Aaron Cromer, but, like, I'm not sure what their reasoning is for moving on from him. But he's a heck of a football coach, and he did the best he could with what they have. But I, I think it the, the minute – what – what you saw from Jared Goff was really a product of the pieces around him really diminished, I thought. And he needed those pieces around him really strong. He needed to be able to throw, you know, um, misdirection screen passes to Todd Gurley and let him go for 30 yards and pick up a right. chunk of play. 
Yeah. Um, another guy who, I mean, you're, you're a Philly guy. I know you're <laughs> tight with the Eagles. So you saw even more of Carson Wentz's. Um, and that was a lot of circumstances around him. But if you're Frank Reich and you know his staff, how do you fix Carson Wentz? Well, it starts with the mechanics. And people can say, well, you know, he's got a new uniform. He's got a better team around him. And, you know, he's with his buddy Frank Reich. Okay. I mean, he still has to – he couldn't throw a screen pass last year, Doug. Now, maybe his head was so just jammed that, you know, he just – but his mechanics were awful. And, you know, the one thing about Carson – and I – Look, I've done a film session with Carson. So, I mean, I sat down and been critical of certain things. Um, he's a he's a kind of a tough egg to, to crack in some ways. Um, John D. Filippo found that out when Carson was here. Like, he, he needs to be coached hard because, you know, he's an extremely physically talented player that played at North Dakota State. So, he was the most talented player on the field every week. Um and so you can get away with a lot of things. You can run through players. You can, you can just muscle the ball in there. But if you want to, if you want to excel at the NFL level, I mean, when you throw a football, it's got to be weight transfer. You got to be ready to throw at any time because the, the pocket can break down. You can have a free hitter that you know that Vic Fangio dials up to come right at you, and you better be ready to throw. But if you're just gonna Use your upper body just to muscle these balls. You're going to sail them. You're going to bounce them. You know, you, you know, you got to watch Tom Brady throw a football just to appreciate that how he's always in position to throw a football. Not every, I mean, look, Patrick Mahomes is on a different, you know, world, what he can do and what he gets away with. But if you want to be a consistent thrower in this league, it's it starts your fundamentals, Doug. And he's He's got to get back to that. I mean, really get back to it because you just can't like throw off your back foot and fall off your, you know, fall sideways and just throw these swing passes and put the ball, you know, in Jonathan Taylor's hands where he could do something with it, not where he's catching it and having to turn around and, you know, and, and lose, you know, lose the screen because he's got to stop to start, you know, defense is going to beat you every time there. So yeah, like yeah. ball location is huge in this business. And, you know, to be consistent, his mechanics have to get better. Yeah. I've seen videos of Brady where they, you know, like this throw from this week and this throw from three weeks later, you can superimpose them. It's like the exact same arm angle. It's scary. It's just it's scary. scary. Um, now that we find out that he, he played with a torn MCL, you go back and you watch these throws. And at some point you would think that he was favoring the leg for some reason. I mean, I didn't see MCL is an error. You, you just can't find it. You don't no. see it. The thing with Wentz I noticed was it was the really, he was splaying his feet like really wide and then throwing flat footed. And the only guy I've ever seen get away with that is Jay Cutler. You have to have like a super devilish rocket arm to get away with that. And you don't want to do it anyway, but yeah, that's, uh, that's. I mean, just go back and you watch, you know, you go and watch Drew Brees. I know you have done. Yeah. But I mean, you know, obviously he was a great tennis player coming out of Austin, Texas. And you kind of think tennis and footwork. Like, in order to hit the ball, your feet got to be in a certain position. In fact, there was a game, I don't know if it was a Monday night game this year, he, he missed one throw the whole night. And that's a throw that bothered him in a win because he didn't set his feet properly and he missed the throw. And he was the only, I mean, he was perfect except for one throw. But he, know, he knew the reason why he missed the throw. And his footwork wasn't right. 
and he sailed the ball to Kamara, whoever it was. And but that's that's how consistent you have to be. And that's how those guys practice and played. And when you watch Taysom Hill, it's funny because he really you could tell he really studies Drew and how his now I'm not saying he's gonna be Drew Brees, but his footwork, you could take the numbers off the back of the jerseys and you could see, okay, he goes through his progressions, his footwork is gonna change when his eyes move and he's in a position to throw. Yeah. It's amazing to me how many NFL quarterbacks, I mean, and, and do pretty well with just, you know, I don't, I'm not a quarterback guru, so I don't know exactly what the footwork is supposed to be on everything, but uh, you, you figure out enough for these like that. This guy's footwork is abominable. Like what, you know, I, I, to go on a tangent here, you would think the coaches would know that. You would think that they would have, and it's kind of, I mean, to, to bring this in, I don't know if you've heard about this Ben Roethlisberger run past tell thing where his left heel is up, if they're passing and uh, it's down if he's running. And like, and I went, I wrote an article about this last week. I went back to 2004 and he was doing mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like in your experience, if a coach tells a quarterback, Hey, you're doing this or, Hey, you're, you have a tell or put your feet closer together or your weight transfer goes here. And the quarterback still does that stuff. I mean, the Roethlisberger thing is fascinating to me because he's been doing it his whole career and he's going to the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, does that stuff matter? Like, how how well, coachable does a guy need to be? Well, I mean, it matters to some guys. I mean, there was a reason why Josh Allen made a leap that nobody thought was possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, he went and worked with Jordan Palmer last year during the pandemic and worked with his footwork and got hit that base, you know, closer together and stopped overstriding and, you know, really worked on a lot of fundamental things. Now, some guys can work on that stuff all the time, though. And as soon as they get out in the game, they go right back to their old stuff. And that might be bent. You know, this is yeah. the way to throw football. I mean, you, why would you change the way Philip Rivers released a football his entire career just because it looked funny? I mean, that's how he threw a football. So there are certain things you're just not going to change. But, you know, the ones that really want to make a leap and improve, I mean, I was always told that, you know, how you throw a ball through a tire is never going to change, you know, like, but Josh Allen proved me wrong. I think he's proved just about everybody wrong. You know, when you're well, 70% yeah. playing the way he did last year at that level, I mean, that guy made a quantum leap. He did. Um, one more question about just overall scheme. Then I want to get into the weeds on offensive line with you. <laughs> um what are the most remarkable schematic transitions you've seen in the NFL over the last five years? And I want to start with cover four and cover six, because I went back and looked at sports info solutions and the uptick in especially cover four over the last three years has been cover four has made a comeback Uh, cover four and cover six in 2008 in pass coverage, 1,405 defensive snaps up to 2866 last year. 3,426 snaps in cover four and cover six is probably 80 to 90% cover. But when you you see the increase in specific two high coverage in that time, specifically Brandon Staley's success with cover six. And he's of course an offshoot of Vic Fangio. Um, What are your thoughts on the shift from more single high stuff, which seemed to gain a lot more favor with the Seattle Legion of Boom stuff? Well, I mean, if you look at Vic Fangio, I mean, Justin Simmons, almost probably 95% of the time lines up at left deep safety. 95% of the time they line up in a cover two shell. They're going to give you until the snap or until maybe the final 
three seconds on a play clock, depending on how good the quarterbacks are and manipulating the clock. Cause a lot of teams they're, they're, they're waiting until the last five seconds, you know, in order to get to where they want to get to. But I mean, Vic Fangio is in a cover two shell and Justin Simmons and Kareem, uh, Kareem, uh, Jackson, me. Jackson, yeah. you know, they're, they're the two deep safeties and Justin Simmons always left safety. You just don't see that. But, you know, I think what you're seeing now is a shift. Most, almost all teams are playing three safeties, um, you know, more and more and more. Now, obviously very few teams, maybe Seattle are playing three linebackers, um, a lot of teams like Green Bay are playing a dime look, you know. 50% uh, of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, so you're, you're, you know, Christian Kirksey last year, you know, he's the one linebacker. Now, if you, you got to run him out of it. You know, if you, you run him out of it, you're going to get the second linebacker on the field or whatever. You're going to get, you know, a base defensive front. But, you know, it's a passing league. And so you're going to defend the pass first. And the metrics say that. And so, you know, Malcolm Jenkins and Chauncey, you know, Johnson and all those guys in New Orleans, you know, um, uh, Williams, I mean, they're three safeties. And so, you know, you might have two high and one in the slot, you know, a variety of different ways. So, you know, the quarters is because you're just getting more cover safeties, guys that can cover that tight end, you know, that flex tight end in the slot. Uh, you can match up with them. And, you know, and then you can also defend the run, with, you know, with safeties, you know, in the alleys when you got to get there. And so, uh, but it's defending the pass first, I think, with, you know, with more and more safeties. You know, you look at what Cam Curl did with the Washington football team last yeah. year, he was a remarkable player, but that's what, that was his role. Yeah, that defense is going to be legit. Uh, <laughs> they got William Jackson, but mm-hmm. like top five man corner and here they go. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting. I, I know teams last year ran more dime than base. Yeah, overall. So that's that's where we're going. Um, what other trends have you seen in say the last two or three years? Or you know, when you study colleges, yeah. and, you know what's coming up. Like if you if you were to fast forward to maybe twenty twenty five, what might we see in the NFL schematically that we're not seeing at all or as much right now? Well, all all of the innovation for football comes out of college. And it always has. Like, I played for Steve Spurrier. So when I was at Duke, and Steve was the offensive coordinator, and, you know, we went to Clemson and beat Clemson. Like, we had no business beating Clemson, but everybody was running the ball then, and Steve was throwing it. And it was the equalizer. And that's what has always been the case. I mean, you know, whoever thought that Alabama would be in four wide receivers, you know? And, you know, now now they're, you know, four, you know, they're a four by 100 relay team. Yep. You know, but Alabama's in four wide receivers. I mean, you know, in college, you know, Chip Kelly and Mike Gundy and, you know, all the teams in the Big 12, Lincoln Riley, I mean, they got inside receivers and outside receivers. They got an inside receiver coach. They got an outside receiver coach. Um, you know, John Gruden is calling, I don't know, bunch right, Y left, 200, jet smoke, you know, double stick. You know, and Chip Kelly's saying, okay, let's call that Bronco. You know, and so the speed, the tempo, you know, in the Big 12, I, I did Big 12 games for 10 years. So in the Big 12, you know, one of the stats that is a legit stat, I mean, there's a lot of stats out there, Doug, some of them, you know, that I, I don't pay attention to. But one of the stats of the Big 12 is how quickly are you snapping a football? Yeah. You know, and so can you snap it once every 16 seconds, once every 18 seconds? Because that's what they're doing. And so, you know, and, and Nick Saban was like bristling when this was going on five years ago. Because it's like, you know, there's a health consideration here. You know, we're, we're defending 100 snaps. In some cases, it was more than that. You know, when Art Riles at Baylor, 
And so the speed of the game, the tempo of the game. Now, there is obviously the downside to that. If you're not converting third downs and you're off the field in 30 seconds, you know, and, and three straight plays, your defense is going to get gas and you get you. So, you know, there is a balance to it, but there is all these different tempos that teams play. I mean, you talk to Mike Gundy, let's say, um, at Oklahoma State. I mean, he's got four different tempos that he can run plays at with no huddle. All right. So depending on the situation, um, you're seeing that at the NFL level. Um, you constantly see the ability of an Aaron Rodgers, uh, specifically Aaron Rodgers, where he can catch you in a hockey shift and get a playoff and get a free play or at least a five-yard penalty if he sees 12 men on the field like they can go right to it and get a play. Um, and so all that is coming out of college, you know, and now rehearsed and practiced at the NFL level. And so the pre-snap motion, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, the stuff that he did at Texas Tech, Yep. With Patrick Mahomes, you know, that's what Kansas City is doing. Yes. Like, you know, all this fly sweep. And, you know, and what it does, it's it's two, it's twofold, though. One, can it confuse the defense? Yes, it can. Um, bunch formations came out of the college game. It can confuse your coverage, all right? It does all the time. And then um, can you get a numbers advantage by shifting Devontae Adams from this side of the formation to this side of the formation? And – is it a good indicator of whether the defense is in zone or man? Like all that is coming. It's all here. And now it's a question of just how, how you want to use it. Do you want to sprinkle it in? Um, so the innovation is coming out of the college game. And it's going to keep coming because, you know, the only way that for a while Baylor could, could compete with Oklahoma was because of what Art Bryles was doing. Yeah. And pretty soon they passed him. And now Lincoln Riley is there to run that system. I remember, uh, yeah, Mahomes told me this. I wound up watching tape with three different Texas Tech quarterbacks. It was Mahomes, Davis Webb, and Nick Shimanek. And they all said Cliff there had, I mean, it was 94, 95, depending on which side of the field, you know, that flipped the formation. And out of 94, every receiver knew his package, the original route, if there was an option. So it wasn't, you know, the 35-minute Gruden play call where Chris Sims' head is exploding on YouTube. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I want to, with the time we have left and thank you again for doing this. I want to get a little deep in the weeds on offensive line play. One of the things I find really interesting and everyone, you know, the chiefs lost both of their tackles in the super bowl and Tampa Bay was just uniquely positioned to exploit that, but they didn't go out and get just, you know, kind of like as like replacements for Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, in my opinion, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I think they're going to run and they ran a lot more zone than, you know, wham trap, whatever last year, I think they're going, I think they're changing their entire offensive line. The signing of Orlando Brown, uh, the trade for Orlando Brown, I should say the signing of Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey at Oklahoma. I, I, I know you've watched him. This guy was at least half gap and he was blowing stuff open for guys like Ramondre Stevenson. Um, what do you think of the moves Kansas City's made on their offensive line? And do you think it presages kind of a schematic sea change for them? Well, I think um, they're, they've got the MVP at quarterback. And the injuries are the injuries, you know, whether it's a turf toe or knee. Like, they've got him to a 10-year contract. We all want Patrick Mahomes to play 10 more years at least. Like, he's the most entertaining player in the league. 
it's must-see TV. Andy Reid knows that. Andy Reid wants to throw the ball coming out of the tunnel. He can run it. He knows how to run the ball. He's had great runners. You know, throughout his career, he's had great runners. Um, but he wants to throw it to get the lead. And so you've got to protect your quarterback. You can't let, uh, you know, what Tampa did to him in the Super Bowl take over. Now, I, I was with Mitchell Schwartz, you know, uh, two weeks ago at the Offensive Line Masterminds, and he was explaining some protection things. Zeus is a natural left tackle. You know, you go back at Oklahoma and watch him against Nick Bosa. You know, you watch him against Miles Garrett. You know, right side, left side. I mean, you can't run around him. You know, he, he can obliterate the sun. You can't run through him. He's, you know, he what happened to him at the combine happened to him at the combine, but he knows how to play the game. And he's got really long arms. And he knows how to use it. And he wants to be, I mean, it's an ode to his father. He wants to be the best left tackle in football. Well, if you, if you before game, don't, don't try to call, talk to Zeus before a game. Don't. Yeah. Like he, he's going to bite your head off. If you uh, replace Ronnie Stanley and things help hold up pretty well, Ronnie Stanley is a top three, five left tackle in the league. I think that's pretty good. Well, I mean, look, it's, it's a run-based offense. This is completely different, you know, in Kansas City. But even, you know, even if you go back to third and 15 in the Super Bowl against San Francisco, Patrick Mahomes is going, you know, inside the huddle. You know, do we, do we have time to do this? Like, he's questioning the offensive line. You know, Mitchell Schwartz would take that personally. Yeah, we, you got time, coach. Let's go. Let's air it out to Tyree. Like, we're going to make this happen. But, you know, you want – in any situation to make sure that Patrick Mahomes has time to get to operate. And so Creed Humphrey, like, I think they had to upgrade the center. I will. I mean, I think eventually Creed, it's going to be his job and he's going to upgrade that position by size. Um, what you're talking about, the ability to move people uh, up front and to blast holes open. Um, you know, it's, it's good. I think Andy Reid, I've been around Andy a long time. You, sometimes, you just want to be able to win the game any way you want to, yeah. you know, whether, it, you know, it's the conditions are that we can't throw it today because there's ice on the field. Let's run it down their throats. Let's, let's win it any way that is the, makes the most sense. Let's have that versatility to our offense. Yep. You, uh, you were a guard, a tackle and a center in the NFL. And you hear a lot these days about how easy it's supposed to be for a left tackle to move to right tackle because right tackle is a quote unquote less talented position or whatever, or for less athletic college tackles to move to guard in the NFL, which of course sometimes works. Hello, Zach Martin. When you hear these things, what do you think? And can you go into what the specific challenges are for those types of position switches, whether you're moving from, um, oh gosh, was it Mitch Morris who moved from tackle to center, which is kind of nuts. Um, but just, you know, left tackle to right tackle, I get people ask me like, you know, when you move from left to right, anything or right to left, anything like, what are the challenges that go into that? Yeah. Well, you know, it really depends on your background. You know, I was really came in as, you know, as a swing guy and a backup player in Dallas. And I had to learn a lot of positions. In fact, I lined up and started a game at tight end. Uh, at one point for the Cowboys. So, and I started a game at tight end for the Colts. So just to help block the edge, you know, so really that was a guy like me that kept me around the league for a long time. You know, if you hear Panay Sewell sort of go, wow, learning right tackle is really difficult. The funny thing about it, he came to Oregon as the right tackle. Yeah. 
Mm. You know, switch the left tackle. So he's played the right side. It's really a mindset. You know, I, I was around Ryan Jensen last week, and, you know, Ryan Jensen came in as a six-round pick of the Ravens, and he played left guard, right guard, he played center. You know, and last year when it was the best move for Tampa in the middle of the season for him to go from center to replace Ali Marpet, he replaced Ali Marpet, had to go up against Aaron Donald, and he pitched a shutout. Yeah. Like Aaron Donald didn't have a stat that day. But, you know, sometimes it's just a mindset of a player. You know, like this is – I'm, I'm going to learn this position. I'm going to be good at this position. It might not be why they pay me the money they pay me or what the contract was for, but this is a good team move to move to this side of the, of the line. And so some guys, they embrace it. Some guys, they use it as a crutch or as an excuse. To me, it's about longevity and whatever keeps you around the longest and whatever the, the best fit is for the team, then do that. Yeah, and I don't make it make it, you know, learn how to eat with your left hand. Yeah, I don't remember which offensive lineman said it. It may have been Kelsey. It may have been Eric Steinbach. But somebody was asked somebody, an offensive line, an, a tackle was asked moving from left to right. Um, what, how, how, and the guy said, imagine wiping your butt with your other hand. <laughs> well, that's, that's all true. It's so it's like the flips in protection, the flips in technique. You got, you know, you're, you're all of a sudden you have to change your feet and reverse everything. Uh, you know, I remember a game distinctly, maybe four years ago, Trent Williams was the predominant left tackle in football, might still be. And in a game against the Giants, he went to left guard and he was the most dominant player on the field at left guard. You know, I mean, he just did it. You know, like he never played guard in the NFL. I don't know if he played guard at Oklahoma. But he went to left guard that day for whatever reason, and he dominated the left guard, you know. And so you go back to the history, like a lot of guys have started off at tackle and they ended up at center. There's no place else to go. Like you can't move anymore, go to center, get another year or two years in your career. Um, you know, I was always told play as long as you can, then two more years. Well, if those last two years are at center where you can't move very well, but you can still, you know, hold up then go to center and learn that position. Uh, a couple more questions uh, before I let you go. Quick game seems to be becoming a lot more important in today's NFL. And I wonder if in your mind has, because I, I, Greg Costello has been saying this for a couple of years, that the gap in perceived importance between left and right tackle has kind of closed. And of course, if you're running zero to three step or zero to one step, it doesn't matter how good your edge guy is. He's probably not going to get there. So the interior guys become more important. Do you think correspondingly guards and centers, and I think salary is starting to you know, prove this out. Guards and centers, are, are they more important than they've ever been? I mean, how in your mind has quick game changed what offensive lines do and where it's most important? Well, I'll, I'll back up to what you first said about left-right tackle. I mean, if you're the right tackle in this league, you're Lane Johnson. You see Khalil Mack, Von Miller, J.J. Watt, you know, T.J. Watt. I mean, you see – I mean, you can make a case that right tackles see more difficult pass rushers right now on a weekly basis than the left tackle, Demarcus Lawrence. You go through the names of elite pass rushers over the right tackle. It used to be, okay, there was LT over there. There was, you know, so-and-so. That, that has changed, okay. Um, look, Aaron Donald will ruin your offense. He did the Cowboys last year. If you don't have a plan for him inside. Um, I've talked to – you know, the, the coaches in New Orleans when they had to go up against Aaron Donald and how they burnt the midnight oil, Drew Brees and Rousher and, you know, Sean Payton. I mean, they were up there all night long trying to flip for formations and 
this is where Aaron Donald's going to go, and this is how we're going to in the run game in the pass game. And so, you know, Chris Jones, Fletcher Cox, I mean, these guys can, you know, Leonard Williams, they can ruin your offense if you don't have a good plan inside, if you're not strong inside. And you're right, quarterbacks, the elite ones, I don't care if it's if it's Brady or if it's Mahomes or Lamar, um, it, they, they can defeat edge pressure. You know, they can feel it. They can you slide to their left. They can find, you know, like squeeze gel. They can find the opening. Um, but, you know, when that front gets – pushed and they can't step up um, and step into their throw. Uh, that, that's when they're really screwed. Uh, in a general sense, what's the biggest adjustment, regardless of position for college offensive line when they come to the NFL? Well, I, I, I think right now it, it's, it's two things. One is the complexity of NFL defenses. You know, a lot of times because of the speed that college teams play, they just get a very vanilla look, you know, I mean, they can't really scheme too much. All they're doing is just, you know, playing, you know, two defensive lines or three defensive lines and they're just getting fresh bodies on the field, but they're not seeing the complexities that they're seeing at the NFL level. So that's number one. Number two, you know, most teams don't really try to run the ball. I mean, unless you're Georgia, Alabama, they're not really running the ball and they're not running the ball in NFL sets with tight ends and fullbacks the way a lot of teams are running power, you know, and running traps. You're not seeing a lot of that. So run blocking looks atrocious. You know, these guys play way too high. Bad level is way too high from the college to the, to the pro level. And then just seeing the, the difference in the level of athlete at every position. No, no, there, I mean, nobody sees Chris Jones or Aaron Donald at the college level. And so just seeing guys that have, you know, a variety of pass rush moves. So if you want to take, you know, the rip away from Aaron Donald, here comes the spin, here comes the swim. You know, I mean, he's got five. Here comes, you know, the cross chop. Like, he's going to beat you five different ways. And and the good ones inside right now, you know, they have that ability to do it. Yeah. And Aaron Donald, he's going to, you know, play outside 25% of the time and either hit you that way. I maintain he could be a 15-sack guy. I don't care what his weight is. If he was in a defensive end, wouldn't matter. I agree. Or he's going to stun inside and then you just, you know, go home, your host. Um, final question I have to ask about the pinky. Is it true that this happened uh, when you got it stuck in Randy White's jersey? Yes. Now, that's a badge of honor. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, and so it, it got ripped out pretty good. And, um, you know, the manster was the manster. Like, uh, we, we basically, uh, our days were defined by if you got a good block on Randy White or not. If you did, you, you might not be able to sleep. You're so happy. And if you... If you didn't get one, like you just went home depressed. And um, so, you know, when it got ripped out, it was kind of dangling. And I, you know, I let out some screams. So the defensive line, this is a morning practice and training camp. So it was, you know, we we're, were coming to the cafeteria for lunch. And the defensive line sat in the front row uh, as you came into the cafeteria. And they their job basically was to ruin every player that came in to the cafeteria. So when I came in, they all stood up. And they all just, you know, let out this like this crying sound of uh, imitating what I sounded like on the on the field that day. And, you know, they made sure that I, you know, I felt their um, their sarcasm. And then simultaneously, they all put their hands up and they all had fingers like mine. And they just said, you know, join the club. Like, it's a good thing. It's OK. Welcome so, to the NFL. Welcome to the NFL. <laughs> 
Uh, Brian Baldinger, great stuff, man. NFL Network, Fox Sports, Compass Media, uh, the Baldi's breakdowns on NFL Network and uh, on uh, Twitter, Baldi NFL, definite must follow. And obviously the stuff on CoachTube. Uh, Really appreciated the time, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure, Doug. Thanks for having me. All the best.